So um, my name is Kelly, and most of you either have met me or know me well, or a little bit. I've uh, been here for, uh, I think it's like four or five years. Uh, and and I, I keep telling people, uh, even if they're in another church, I said, I go to a little church, but it's really, really healthy. It's really strong. Um, this is a good place, good people. Um, and so, uh, so I can say that with total confidence. Uh, I'm not a pastor or an elder here. I like to joke that I'm, a, I'm an older, one of the oldest. Um, but if you don't know, Pastor Matt is on sabbatical. Uh, in fact, kind of re- sabbatical is kind of related to what we're going to be talking about. Before uh, Matt left, though, he set up a teaching schedule for the whole summer. And all of it deals with this theme of, of following the ways of Jesus. And I want to start out that I had been a Christian uh, for about 40 years, passionately following Jesus, when, a, when I found myself a few years ago, and another family was in the same church that goes here, found myself in a, in a church crisis that a lot of people in the church didn't know was a crisis, but it was a serious crisis. And, it was, and I was deeply involved. I was not an elder there either. My, my best friend was an elder. Deeply involved, I knew a lot of stuff going on the inside about where the leadership was headed that was in a, in a very dangerous uh, direction, dangerous theologically, spiritually, and I did not know what to do. I did not know what to do. It challenged me. I, I knew, as much as I knew about Jesus, I, didn't, I realized I didn't really know his ways. I needed the wisdom of Jesus to do what he would do. I, I needed his power and his peace. I needed his bi- ability to get direction from the Father. I know he would know what to do. Whether others liked it or not, he would know exactly what to do, to the right course, the right balance. But I knew that I did not know that. And so I began for the first time, actually, after 40 years of being a Christian, I, for the first time I began to really see with a different light what, it, what, it, what my need was to be a disciple. I, I needed to have the mindset of a disciple. And for the first time in a, in a new way, I began to uh, seek to learn his ways. So that's what this whole summer is about. In fact, if we follow it and if we really, really take it to heart and we really try to apply these things, Matt will come back and Abby will come back from sabbatical and we'll be better than ever. Isn't that awesome? Kind of a sneaky plan, if you ask me, that Matt set up. Um, Dallas Willard, who's, who's, who's my, my favorite source for spiritual formation, um, once said, if we want to do what Jesus did, we have to do what Jesus did. In other words, if we, we have to practice what Jesus practiced. That's what this whole thing is about, this whole summer. I want to ch- challenge you and highly encourage you, challenging myself, to each week when we learn a new way, or, or next week we're going to talk about this way, but talk about how to apply it, to, to, say, to, tell, to, to ask the Lord, help me to, at least for this week, to apply that truth. So today we're going to learn another way of Jesus. It's called practicing the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath, in my mind, may be the most controversial, least understood, most abused, way of Jesus. Jesus practiced it better than anyone, yet was accused often of the sin of breaking it. It was recorded as one of the first spiritual practices that God ever did. 
and it will be one of the main things practiced for eternity. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your, your teachings, for your, your modeling about the ways of following God and teach us uh, how to understand, set us free from old lies or from misconceptions about the Sabbath and set us free, but give us a hunger to follow you. Amen. Okay. Disclaimer. Important to have a disclaimer here in case so nobody sues me or the church. Once a, um, often a pastor will ask someone to speak on a topic because he's so, he practices it so well. I'm going to ask Richard to talk about, this is probably true, fathering, because he does it so well. I, I think he, from what I've, everything I've seen and knowing Richard, I'm sure he does. Um, but I think in this case, God asked, I think God had Matt, whether he knew it or not, ask me because it's such a need for me to grow. Okay, so rather than being, being kind of the expert on this topic, and there are things that I feel like I've learned really well how to practice. This is one of those like, I need to learn how to practice it, okay? So forgive me for being kind of hypocritical in this. Um, it was just recently that I started trying to practice the Sabbath principle, the ways of the Sabbath on Friday, setting apart that day to do that. And I, and I started doing that partly out of a need to survive emotionally or mentally. We're going to put up the scripture, um, one of the scriptures about the Sabbath from Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. It is the longest commandment, by the way. But first of all, we need to ask, do we need to practice the Sabbath now? And that's a legitimate theological controversy with, with serious followers of Jesus. Because some would argue that the Sabbath... Um, keeping was not an emphasis in the early church. And that Jesus came to fulfill the law, as he said. And Hebrews 4 says that he, Jesus, is our Sabbath rest. So that's evidence on that side. On the other hand, some would argue that Jesus did not come to abolish the law either. And the Sabbath was given to, as a command. In fact, it made God's top ten list. Right? Jesus addressed many of the other commandments, and, and guess what he did with them? He didn't throw any of them out. In fact, he raised the bar. He defined adultery as lust, murder as a harsh word. Honoring mother and father is more important than giving to the temple. So if we follow that example, we might think that, well, maybe we're supposed to follow it even more. But the problem is we need to understand what it is and what it isn't. Fortunately, Jesus helped us. I love it. There are so many areas that we could have just had a total misunderstanding, and he clarified it. If we look at it, he said a very important thing about the Sabbath in response to the challenges about it. He said this. You're probably familiar. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's a heavy, and that, that's, a, that's a powerful statement. 
We're going to be talking about what that means then. I believe that this single statement, we'll leave that there, sets us free from the need to keep the Sabbath as a law, but yet it also encourages us to practice the Sabbath way as a gift. The Sabbath was made for man. You can say that with me. The Sabbath was made for man. So if I personalize it, it's very simple. That means, if I want to take it personally, that means the Sabbath was made for me. Let's say that again. I want you to just kind of register it kind of deep in your, in your mind, in your heart. The Sabbath was made for me. I, I truly believe in controversial, somebody disagree, I truly believe we don't have to keep it to keep the law. What if, if the Sabbath's made for me, then that tells me that I need the Sabbath. What if the Sabbath is not a burden but a blessing? Perhaps the greatest question should not be, <clears throat> do I have to, but do I get to? So what is the Sabbath blessing about? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Number one, the Sabbath is literally a call to stop and create a sacred space to be restored and reset. Simple idea. Take one day a week and set it apart to stop the madness. Just chill. This is the fourth of the Tenth Commandments. Uh, and it's interesting because the first three are about us honoring God. The last six are about us honoring and not hurting others. So what's this Sabbath about? Who is this commandment for? I heard my wife kind of whisper. Any other thoughts? Who is this for? Lots of people are afraid they're going to get the question wrong. I, I hear that. I understand that as a former teacher. Could it be that it's for us and God, or at least our worship of God, and others? It's a hinge point between those. It's fascinating. We're going to develop this. So perhaps a better way of, of thinking about this is what happens when we don't practice this? Well, I'm going to tell you from experience. <laughs> What happens if we, if we uh, when we let ourselves uh, pursue our own goals and, uh, and dreams and agenda day after day after day? The inevitable result is this. When we drive ourselves or others without any limits, we end up moving further away from God, creating toxic relationships, and we run ourselves into the ground. Has anybody ever experienced that personally? Either from yourself in your own life or maybe from someone else? In your life. Renowned mental health author Dan Allen declares, which I, I, Matt gave me this book, which was really powerful because he probably knew I didn't know anything about the Sabbath. And so he said, Well, here, this will help you. Um, it's called, and, and so it's from Dan Allen, and I pulled some quotes in there. Um, he declares, We are driven, exhausted, and depleted. We were created for the refreshing and replenishing gifts of the Sabbath and we don't practice it or don't do so to our peril. However, this idea of choosing to be unproductive for a whole day every week seems downright un-American. 
perhaps even more so for people like me. I grew up in a, 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 um, as a goal-obsessed child in an achievement-driven family. My parents were very busy and very successful. They were always setting big goals and changing the world. So I grew up thinking that's what you should do, set big goals and change the world. Now, to give you a real simple window into this, I want you to paint a picture. I, uh, uh, think of me as a very uh, much shorter and even skinnier 12-year-old. And, and I had spring break coming up. What does a 12-year-old dream about? Nine days to do anything you want, in a sense. What do you do as a 12-year-old? Sorry, there were no video games, so that was out. What does a 12-year-old boy want to do for spring break? Here's what I did. I set a goal to run 100 miles during spring break. I was a weird kid. Amen? But I grew up in a family, and my dad was a coach, and my heroes when I was a little boy were Olympic athletes, literally, and world record holders who achieved great things by dedicating themselves and setting big goals and working hard. I, I literally did that. What a, what a crazy kid. Now, I, I, I did that, and, and there's, some, there's some results of that. I got better, and I was a pretty good runner as a kid. And, and, and then I, you know, kind of reached my limit and, and, and left that and, and, you know, progressed and did other things in my life. I was a youth pastor for a while, um, and, I, and in that, that phase of being a youth pastor for three and a half years, I practiced the same kind of mindset. And then later, and I was almost going to tell you about that, but instead I decided to tell you about um, the, the 13 years that I was a head track coach. So I got, when I was uh, 38 or something, I got to, got, uh, I had applied and got an opportunity to be the head track coach. Now I grew up in track, that was my life, that was my world, I knew it very well. And, and so I, I got an opportunity to take over this team that was, was literally, by every measure, was probably the worst track team in the state of Washington. Honestly, not many kids turned out, kids didn't like it, and we were in a school where they were bad at almost every sport. Matt could say amen, because he taught at the rival school, Chadle, although he did have to teach in my room after I left for a little bit at North Central. So worst team, I'm a competitive guy, but also I wanted my kids to have, a, the athletes to have a good experience. So part of my motivation was totally pure and, and wonderful, and part of the motivation was just like, I don't want to look bad, and I want to achieve something. So I used that same dedication and goal setting and all-out consuming work ethic to pull out all the stops. That was my mentality. By the way, my two sports that I did as a kid were running the mile and wrestling. Neither one of those sports is known for having timeouts during the middle of it. Neither, the, the, for both of them, you become successful by working your tail off and by going all out. So I did that as a track coach. Recruiting coming up with ideas and adding idea after idea after idea and getting good coaches to join us. And over the time, it got better and better and more kids. And pretty soon, it became the sport that in, in cross country, which I didn't coach but was related. And it became this powerhouse, honestly. And I'm saying that um, not because it was all me to brag about it. It was hard work. And there was a whole bunch of people getting together. And some of it was beautiful and amazing. 
It was seriously an amazing thing that happened over time, over those 13 years. But I was consumed, coming up with new ideas. Every time some kid would do something amazing, I'd make a full poster and put it around the school. Every season, in addition to putting on the awards night, or in addition to putting away the equipment and everything, I would make a video. I would make the video with, with, with music and, 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 and pictures and, and video clips from the a highlight video from the season. I had to teach myself how to do that. And we just pulled out all the stops. And in all that time, I was exhausted. In all that time, I was so busy that Diana learned that during the springtime, she didn't ask me to do anything because the answer would be, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. Because I had so many things on the agenda, I had to get done, I had to get done, I had to get done. And truly, with what I laid out for my goals and my agenda, I had to get them done. Can you kind of see this? And it was, and it was working. And then you don't want to step back, you want to add more and more and more. So that's what happened. As a picture of what it was like, I remember my daughter, Anna, who a lot of you know, Anna was, a, was one of our best athletes. And I remember her being out on the track when I'd come out. She was like stretching with some of the other athletes. And, and, and she'd come out and I'd be walking by as I, I had a focus. I had to go talk to this kid over here. I had to talk to this coach or I had to check out this equipment or whatever. And she, she said, Dad, 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 smile. And I remember her telling me that a couple times. And I remember I was kind of dirty you were turning to her. I might have said this like, Anna, I don't have time. I've got things I need to attend to. My own daughter. And she was sensing, she was seeing in my face. She was kind of trying to draw me back. You guys follow this? Sad. What were the results of that? There was fruit. There was good things. Even, even spiritual, some spiritual seeds planted in kids and stuff. Good things. But at what cost? <laughs> Someone from the... <laughs> From the congregation, my wife says, heart attack. So I had two heart incidents, sense put in and everything. Probably not related at all. But more so, I think, just, just that, that kind of like I didn't, I, I had to just be one. Had a, we literally had a T-shirt that maybe was more about me than anything else. I thought was kind of cool. Picture of a track on, I mean, picture of a, of a, um, of a, of a, a person's, like a, a head, a, a brain, and the brain had the different sections, but the title was One Track Mind. And then the different parts of the brain were like, rather than, you know, memory or emotions or whatever, it was like pole vaulting, you know, hurdling, you know. It's a cool shirt. Kids loved it. Okay, one of my ideas. So, but, but here's the, here's the, here's the catch. Could have it been just as successful by the Lord's grace if I would have had boundaries and would have set time apart for him and for to rest. Maybe, or maybe it would not have been successful in terms of championships or in terms of the numbers exactly, but maybe it would have been more successful in God's kingdom. That's what I believe fully. So, I have an unusually driven personality, but I believe that this insatiable hunger for more is human nature. To bring order to chaos, to fix what is broken, to create an Eden on earth. 
Perhaps God knew humanity well enough that he knew that he had to force us to stop, to rest, to trust. The Sabbath reminds us that we have a critical need to rest, but the call to the Sabbath is far deeper than our need to rest. This is something I think is so powerful. Second point, Sabbath was something that God needed to do. He rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Humans need rest. Animals need rest. But God doesn't need rest, does he? And Isaiah says, God neither faints nor is weary. Yet on the seventh day, he rested. What was he doing? Was he napping? Was he laying on a beach somewhere? Why did God rest? I, I just think it's really, how many, how many kind of think it's a fascinating idea? Because on one hand, he doesn't need to, and I, and I don't think he did. So what did he do? Well, Jewish scholars and, and, and teachers, uh, they came up with, a, with an idea of what they think God did. In a sense, they said God created something. He, they, said, they taught that God, on the seventh day, created something called menua. Say menua. I had to practice it over and over because if you don't have the, uh, the right enunciation on the men emphasis on that, it turns out like manure. Yeah, well, God did create that too, but he created menua. In his profound book on the Sabbath, brilliantly titled Sabbath, Dan Allender comments this, that this menua is a Hebrew word for rest, but is better translated as joyous repose, tranquility, or delight. To the biblical mind, menua is the same as happiness and stillness, as peace and harmony. It is a state in which there is no strife, no fighting, no fear, and no distrust. Does that sound good or what? How many would agree we need some of that? So what if God, after his creation, creating a hundred billion Galaxies, it's a lot of work, but what if there's something that in his character, we're made in his image too, what if there's something besides we need to rest, he doesn't, but what if in his character he, he, he needed, quote, needed to stop and adore? And, and one of the things that Dan Allender points out, and I think it's a cool metaphor, is childbirth. Many of you are parents. Many of you had, have, have experienced that. And I remember our firstborn child. I remember the, the Daniel getting born. I remember the, the incredible uh, the, the effort in labor, the pain. The, the agony, the exhaustion. And believe me, Diana was hurting too. <laughs> and, and so I remember that. But the baby, once the baby's born, what does the mother do? Besides rest, I didn't tell her to go make dinner right after. Besides rest, which everyone knows a woman needs rest, but what does she do? What does she long to do? Hold her baby to rejoice. When Daniel was born, I literally 
was weeping. Aunt Diana was weeping. But this blew me away. The obstetrician who had delivered hundreds of babies, thousands of babies, he was weeping. Probably because we were weeping. It was a glorious moment. And then Diana was holding the baby on her chest. And, and there's this thing that's a powerful psychological need that we were born for. It's called bonding. When, and I, I do mental health counseling, and one of the most, most challenging problems is when people have not bonded, when there ha hasn't been a bonding relationship with a significant person in their life. Hopefully their mother and their father, maybe some others. It, it's a huge challenge, and the answer to that, by the way, is they need to find, I have people in my, in my office, and one, and one of the challenges is they need to find someone, Jesus, number one, but they need to find others to bond with. That bonding. So think about the Sabbath as a bonding time. So what does the Sabbath mean? We're going to come up with some verbs, and, and I encourage you, if you want, you might want to pick the two or three that... If you want to write stuff down it, um, that you think fit, that make that resonate with you. So, what does it mean to do the Sabbath? The Sabbath means to savor, to rest, to breathe, to delight, to celebrate play, to soak in, to taste and see that the Lord is good, rejoice and worship, to stand back in awe and wonder. I think God likely created the universe and then stood back in awe to just embrace the creativity. We need to do that, to bond with others. Who's ever been to Yosemite? My wife and I and our two youngest years ago on the way to the Olympic trials, of course, had to be something like that that we were going to. We, we went from the east side in Nevada, we went up um, in it, which is just deserty and is dry, and there's some, you know, kind of mountains up there, the Sierra Nevadas, and we 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 climbed the the through this pass, and we went up, and we weren't experiencing Yosemite like the pictures, and we climbed and climbed up this pass, and it was just dry and kind of you know not kind of boring, although although you know steep hills and all that. And we got over the top of this ridge and went into this mountain, this, this plateau, this, this meadow, this Tulami meadow. And it's a large area, like this mountain plateau, and the snow had melted a few weeks before, and, and, the, and all of these wildflowers had sprung up and were blooming. And the water was meandering in all these different streams and going over little waterfalls. It was just glorious. And our daughter, Anna, who was like 15 at the time, even a 15-year-old could appreciate that. And she, she just looked at that and she just exclaimed, Mom, Dad, this is like God's garden or backyard. 
What was she doing? She was Sabbathing. You guys kind of understand this? She was Sabbathing. In that moment, anyway, as a principle, as an idea, she was Sabbathing. Do we need to do that more? How many personally think you need to do that more? To stop and smell the roses. I think God did that. There's a whole lot of other things he got to smell that were glorious. Fourth, the Sabbath is a call to eat soul food for a day. We need body fuel. My wife's a dietitian. She's taught us, taught me these things. We need fruits, vegetables, carbohydrates, proteins, and of course, ice cream. She didn't teach me that. I already knew that. But she, we also need what I call soul food. Man does not live by bread alone, but he also needs to feed his soul. What is soul food? Soul food is quite simply whatever feeds your soul. We need worship, prayer, relaxed conversations, hugs, music, laughter, nature hikes, naps, and good books. And you can add your own things on your list. Things that feed your soul. I don't mean entertain. There's those things too, but I'm talking about the things that, that you come away from and you're enriched. Now, a lot of TV that I've watched have been entertained by or movies or whatever, I don't, that might be really entertained. I don't come away enriched in my soul. I mean, you get that. And some of it's bad, some of it's neutral. But when I watch The Chosen, and not to promote it, but I come away built up my spirit, right? And some of you may, something like that. So what is the Sabbath? It's a day to experiment with beauty that teases your hunger to know more glory. Dan Allender again. We need to set aside time to remember God and his goodness. And then I put up this quote up here to read because it's so good from Allender. The agenda-ridden, task-driven focus that we use the other six days need to be put to rest in order to receive the surprising bounty of the unexpected. We must enter the realm where plans no longer hold sway. Five, we just have a few more. The Sabbath is a call to celebrate our freedom. This is really interesting. In the text in Deuteronomy, he says this. By the way, there's a version in, in um, Deuteronomy and a version in, uh, in Exodus about the Ten Commandments. So this one says something a little different. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord, your God, brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, your God, has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So this, this is a focus on this aspect of the Sabbath. It's a chance to remember our salvation, remember our freedom from sin. So my job, as I said, is a mental health counselor now. Every client I've ever had struggles with regret, grief, shame, distorted negative thoughts, self-hatred, or rejection. They still feel the pain of the past, feel inadequate in their present, or fearful of the future, or all three. These thoughts plague us, all of us to some degree. How many can relate? For many of us, these are not just fleeting doubts or depressing thoughts. They're literally well-worn neural pathways that could spiral into debilitating depression or anxiety. I'm amazed how quickly a word or a memory can, can get me back. I call them on-ramps with my clients. Get me back into this rut of negativity. 
Can you relate? And all of a sudden, and I think the enemy works in there too, feeding you memories and, and, and doubt and all of the things you've ever done wrong and shame, and you just get back into this rut. And you walk in that. And a few years ago, I read this book that is written by a Christian, although there's nothing in here about faith because he wrote it for a secular audience. He's a researcher at UCLA about neuroscience and how to use what they've learned in neuroscience to change, to, to uh, be healthy mentally. And it became, uh, a, a part of this became the model that I use. It's really powerful. But in there, um, he, he teaches that the more we practice these pathways, the more habitual they become. And the solution is not lying, is telling us to stop thinking that. We tried that. Doesn't work, does it? Just stop it. Just stop it. Doesn't work. The solution does lie in doing what Jesus did and respond to the lies of Satan by proclaiming the truth, the eternal truth of God's word. We have to, we have to get out of the, of, the, of the old rut and practice the new. We have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to focus our attention on whatever is true, honorable, right, lovely, worthy of praise. We literally, when we do that, we literally build a new circuit in your brain. There's this neuro, um, uh, neurology principle that what you focus on, and this is this idea you're not your brain. We have a choice. We're not robots, and we're not animals just governed by instinct and whatever I feel like doing, I'm gonna, I have to do. We can choose what we focus on. We can't choose our emotions. We can't choose what might bubble up. We can choose what we focus on. And here's the principle. When you spend time focusing, your brain literally starts laying down insulation around those neurons, and you can build a circuit. You can choose to build a different circuit. How many get that idea? That's what I do all the time, and I see incredible results. You can choose that. You can't turn off the old circuit. You can build a new one and start practicing a new, a new one. So there's a concept in psychology and in therapy that's pretty cool. I learned a couple years ago. It's called the worry box. It's very simple. You have those or worry box or, um, or um, you know, anything that is just you're struggling with, that you have that in your mind and you, uh, I mean, excuse me, you have the things in your mind that you just can't get away from. And they could be very real issues. Worry about your children or your parents or your work. And you just are obsessed about it all the time. What do you do with that? How do you get away from it? Well, this idea in therapy is this. We take that and we just, for a period of time, we choose to unlock it first. By the way, this box is a beautiful box that my youngest son made for my wife for the jewelry she doesn't have or for whatever. <laughs> so we take it, and this is what Sabbath is, but the worry box can happen like just for, for this hour, I'm not going to think about those problems at work. I'm going to kind of get the idea. We have to do this. But the Sabbath is such a gift. Like before, <laughs> before anything was developed in therapy or cognitive behavior therapy or or, or understanding about how the brain works. God already understood, and he's telling us we've got to take some time to get off the old pathways, those old ruts of negativity and depression and, and sin, and we have to give some time over to stop the old pathways, to create new pathways. I have to take all my thoughts about, 
about work my work keys are here, about my house and house plans and repairs and all that. And for a time, I need to put them in that box. And how about this thing that, that we look at every, and, I, and, I, and I, I start, I'm starting to do it more and more and more. We have to take a time to put in a time out. Oh, thank you. For people who are listening, this is called a cell phone. Then we, we put it in the worry box or in the, in the Sabbath box to not look at it. I know this is challenging. I know this is revolutionary. I know this is controversial. And, and, and another thing is downright un-American. You put it away. Your worries about finances. This is called a wallet for those in the listening audience. We put that away. And my wife and I were both very very good at coming up with, when we were, you know, younger years especially, to-do list, 30 items. And I would just work it, work it obsessively, thinking that I was going to be happy once I got the to-do list done. How many know that you'd never kind of, you just add items. You cross them off. Even if you do something that was on the list, you write it on the list and cross it off so you feel better about yourself. I've done that. Oh, confession there. Take the to-do list, put it in the worry box, close it. I'm going to get this. We need this for mental health. This is like, again, it's like genius. It's like some, the, the smartest person in the universe came up with these ideas. But we're not smart enough to believe it. What would happen if you took one day every week to practice only the circuit of life, the circuit of appreciation, the circuit of wonder. So not only help our mental health, but help our relationships. We need to. I love this quote. We're almost done. Only someone who comes to rest and has nothing planned is able to perceive the beauty of things. He or she sees the flowers, or the sunset, a painting, or a vase, or a beloved person with unintentional, unexpected pleasure. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But what happens if your weeping is for 30 days in a row? Like happened to me last year. You have to choose sometimes to take a morning to let that go, especially during a crisis. The Sabbath offers a gift, a day off from weeping and gnashing of teeth, a day off from striving and shaking your fist to heaven or the government or those crazy people online. More than ever, I think we're realizing we've got to get off that circuit for a while at least, even if we need to get back and deal with problems like that. Allender says of the Sabbath, we are to clear away on this day all the debris from the past week and the weeks ahead and turn our ears to his delight. Last thing. Fascinating. A day of equality for family and community. In this version, the Sabbath instruction says, on it you shall neither do no work 
neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. It's, it's really fascinating. The Sabbath is not only a day to enjoy God's creation and practice rest, it's a day to practice liberty for all. Now that's American. God wanted his people to take one day a week to practice celebration of his goodness to everyone, with everyone, from every strata of life, children and parents, rich and poor, slave and free, powerful and oppressed, were to rejoice in their freedom from all division and instructions of powers. Power, even the beasts of burden were getting day off from their burden. You may have trained your dog to get your slippers every morning, but on the Sabbath, you get your own slippers. On the Sabbath, you take your dog to the park and let him chase squirrels or tennis balls or mark every tree to his delight. That's Sabbathing. I love how God threw animals in there. <laughs> Even them. Because he knew that we, we would come up with some way to get them to do the work for us. This should be a time when old, boring, busy, stressed out parents get on the floor and play Barbies and army men. Did that recently. This is a day when adults practice being kids again. This is a day to ignore all your work emails and put the phone in timeout. It also be a day to invite your neighbor, neighbors across the street for homemade ice cream, delighting just to get to know them. That's Sabbath. We've got a word for our parents. Any parents in here? Yeah. Parents of little kids. Yeah, the whole church. What picture of Christ are we showing our children? This is very personal for me. Was Jesus a hairy, driven, moralized with inflexible schedule, or was he a friend of sinners who was often known to go on long hikes with his father and sit around the campfire telling stories with his closest friends? Our children had two very goal-driven, hard-working, productive parents, and they've all grown up to be driven, hard-working adults. And I'm proud of that. However, I don't think we did a very good job of modeling for them how to slow down, relax, create space for beauty and soul care. We didn't lead with the non-anxious presence. All three of our adult children have battled anxiety issues. For the most part, I don't believe that we drove them into anxiety. However, I do believe we modeled for them an over-scheduled, stressed out, anxious presence. We're going to just show you here, and then I've got a verse to close. It's kind of a summary of what this is about when we get it up there. Go ahead. Oh, I mean, the, um, not that. Let's go with the, um, the final, how do we do the Sabbath? So how do we practice this? So first, set aside a block of time on the agenda of Sabbath alone. Could start with three hours, six hours. Again, we're free from the law. But, but put that, side, that time aside, work up to 24. With these goals, these simple goals. By the way, I'm learning learn from this book. Sabbath could be all kinds of things. Think about not what not to do, but think of what to do. Do things that help you delight in God and his creation. Trust and rest in him. Eat soul food and fast from the soul junk food for that period. Be unproductive for once. Play. Focus your mind on whatever is good, true, lovely, worthy of praise. Enjoy your relationships. 
especially your family. Delight in the beauty you see in them. Let all of your worry go, go for a day. Put things in the worry box. Shut the door. Last thing I'm going to share is um, I was in ninth grade as a Christian, and I was very nervous this one afternoon in the summer down in Gresham, Oregon, because I was going to be running again in the national championships. I wasn't expecting to win, but I was really nervous. I wanted to do well. It's an age group championship. And so I was, this family we were with had an had a RV, and so I went back to the RV. And you can come up, Nick. Um, we went back to the RV, and I wanted to get my Bible because I thought I was so nervous. I wanted God to give me something. And so I went to look in the New Testament because I knew there was good stuff in that and stuff that didn't help in the Old Testament. That's what I thought. So I went to flip to the New Testament, and I didn't flip far enough, and I got kind of in the middle of the Bible, and I was like, so, you know, I opened it up, and okay, that's not, that's Isaiah, that's not, you know, so I went to flip more. But before I did that, my eyes, for some reason, lit on this one section down towards the bottom of the page, and it said a verse Oh, and I, I, did, I forgot. I prayed. I said, God, show me something. I'm not recommending this as the way to always do it. Sometimes God honors the flip the Bible open. Of all the verses, praying for, nervous about wanting to do well as a runner in a two-mile, of all the verses, I wasn't praying for winning, going for the prize. Could have been other verses. I don't know if any other verse would have been better. God gave me. First time I'd ever had God give me something. It was this. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. The Sabbath is about waiting on the Lord. And God promises he will give us strength. 